0: We're going to start here in uh, John chapter 3. The topic for today is biblical conversion, biblical conversion. We uh, just started our our new theme, uh, Be My Witnesses, His Plan, Our Purpose, and uh, we did our our plan. Fortunately, that wasn't God's plan, but our plan was to have all the bookmarks today, but they're going to be here tomorrow, which means that uh, you'll all... Uh, make sure to come tomorrow, uh, not, uh, not tomorrow, I mean you can come tomorrow, they'll be here, but uh, come next Sunday and uh, we'll have some uh, bookmarks uh, with the theme uh, for you all. But uh, we're going to be talking about uh, biblical conversion. Now um, when my girls were young, I have, I have three, three girls and, and they're uh, 12, 10, and 8 uh, now, but when they were younger, uh, one of our favorite movies as a family was um, uh, Beauty and the Beast. And uh, Beauty and the Beast tells uh, tells a a great story of of a man who was really kind of very self-centered, and he was all about himself. And, uh, of course, he got cursed and uh, turned into the beast. And uh, here comes uh, Belle, and through Belle's kindness and love, uh, she's able to turn this really guy who was very self-centered, and uh, he ends up really giving his life uh, for her. And uh, so it's all about someone coming really from... from, um, one place to another. It's all about really change. And in the world today, uh, they they have this idea about change. They may even say this, people can adapt, but they don't change. And so that's kind of a a repeated idea in the world today. People may adapt, uh, but they don't change. However, when you look at the pattern of people's lives, though they don't know it, there is this sense in their life that they need change. And so what are some of those unconscious things that people do that really show in their heart that they realize they need change? Well, it's, it's kind of that old thing where uh, you, you paint your house one color, you paint your bedroom one color, and then uh, um, uh, a year later, a couple years later, five years later, you're like, you know what, I don't like this anymore, even though it's perfectly good paint. You think, you know what, I want to paint this again. They cover it up. Or maybe you have a cell phone and, and uh, you go, you know what, though my cell phone works perfectly, I don't want this one anymore. I want that one. And so there is a change there. Or sometimes uh, ladies will, will, and guys too, I guess, will change their hair color or they'll go from straight to curly or from curly to straight. And so there's this un this, this kind of unbeneath that we don't even realize that is there uh, as, as mankind, that we realize that there is a change that we need. And so we change it in all other ways except for the real change that we need. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today, that topic of biblical conversion, that change that we really need. And so our theme, that goes right along with our theme, Be My Witnesses, His Plan Our purpose, as well as the theme for our church, so uh, constantly we're saying um, here at Wilton Bible Church, where the gospel changes lives, and because that's what we believe. We believe that the gospel changes people's lives. Obviously, you come from death to life, but also as you grow in Christ, your life begins to change. And so, we are not the same individuals. For those of us who who know Christ and have a relationship with Him, we are not the same individuals. From when we got saved to where we are now. Because God continues to change our lives. And that all started with the gospel. Now, do people need gospel change? Do people need gospel change? And that's something to to ponder this morning. So as we think about change, as we think about this theme, Be My Witnesses, His Plan, Our Purpose, do people really even need the change that we have? Do people even need gospel change or or biblical change? Some would say no. Some would say this is who I am and you can either love me the way that I am or you can take a hike, all right? So you can go find something else to do. Matter of fact, some maybe even say this. Why change? You shouldn't impose your ideas on others. Besides, you're surely not suggesting that the way of living, uh, I'm sorry, that your way of living, your way of looking at the world is any better than mine, if you are suggesting that, you must be some kind of self-righteous hypocrite. And so that's kind of the world's idea when it comes to change. And so uh, today in the, in, the, in the world that we live in, it is all about acceptance. Don't, don't talk about change, instead talk more about acceptance. And so I posed a question, do we even need change? Should we adopt the world's idea that we simply love people the way that they are, or do they need gospel change? And so, of course, the Bible is clear that we do need change in our lives, and mankind needs change. The Bible teaches that we are not okay on our own. Instead, the Bible actually teaches that we are broken people. Matter of fact, Christ went as far as to say that mankind is sick and in need of a doctor. And so that's where we are. We do need change. And so that's where we find ourselves here in John chapter 3. We're going to start with verse 19 and 20. We're just going to read a couple of verses. And I'll have you stand out of respect for God's word. This is John chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. And the word of God says this. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. Let's go ahead and stop there and we'll ask the Lord's blessing upon our time. Lord... As we think about this idea of biblical change and gospel change, and, and we think about our theme, Be My Witnesses, and we think about our theme here at Wilton Bible Church, where the gospel changes lives, I know that the world doesn't sense where they don't recognize the change that they need, though they are, there's this underlying feeling in their heart that they're always changing something about themselves or, or something about where they live. Or maybe they change their job. They're always looking for change, and yet at the same time, they reject change. And so, Lord, as we ask this question, as we go through this topic of biblical change, we pray that our hearts would be encouraged, that you would continue to give us direction and purpose in this life. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The Gospel of John points to the truth of why many people would say, no, I don't need change, or no, just love me like I am, or if you are to say, I need change, you must be some self-righteous hypocrite. Because the Word of God points out that we don't like when our flaws are exposed. We don't like when sin is pointed out. I don't know about you. Uh, But in my flesh, I would like to deal with sin my way and in my time. Matter of fact, uh, this is uh, the the thing that always gets some like uh, um, uh, rivalry between uh, brothers and sisters is when that younger sibling comes and tells the parents, you won't believe what so-and-so did, and then the parents have to react to that problem that was just told to them by that younger sibling, and that older sibling is always like, why did you say that? And that's really our response in our flesh. And so the world naturally, and at one time in our life, we naturally pushed back against biblical change because we wanted to believe that we are good people deep down. That we are doing just fine on our own. And yet the Bible teaches something differently. The Bible teaches that we are broken. Go ahead and turn over to Romans chapter 3. Turn to Romans chapter 3. I'm going to put the slides up on the wall as well. And uh, if you can, hold your spot there in John. We are coming back to John chapter 3. But uh, Romans uh, chapter 3 is is what we're going to look at next. Because really, this problem of sin, though the world might think, I am a good person deep down, this is what the Word of God says about mankind. And so this is Romans chapter 3. This is Paul writing to the church of Rome. And he's writing to a church that is full of both Gentiles and, and Jews. And sometimes the Jews thought to themselves, you know what? I am already saved because I'm part of God's family. I'm part of Israel. And so he has to kind of, in a way, teach them that they are not saved just because of their history, their family history. And so here in in verse 9, he says this, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Gentiles, are under sin. And he goes on to say this, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. You say, well, the world can point to different good things that they do. Maybe they, they give to a charity, or, or, or maybe they, they save uh, the the wildlife." And so it's always um, uh, great to see when you're, when you're online, you see those little videos of like, uh, I don't know, a dog stuck in the canal and someone rescues that dog's life out of the canal. And th- those things are great and, and those things are positive, but that's not the change that we're talking about. Because unfortunately, there's not enough good deeds that we could do to outweigh our bad deeds. Our sin so even though the world may do lots of good things unfortunately they've already done lots of bad things and of course because we stand before a holy god it's not the amount of sin that condemns us but simply one sin that condemns us and that is the sin of disbelief not believing in the Son of God. And we'll we'll see as as we kind of unfold uh, this idea. And really to get kind of a an idea of the change that is needed, because really, as as this passage kind of unfolds, what we find out is really we were broken before God, and because we're broken before God, our relationship with him has been broken, and now really the destiny for the unbeliever is not good at all. Matter of fact, the Bible talks about that destiny for the unbeliever being separated from God forever and ever and ever in a place called hell. Now, I don't believe that God created hell for mankind. I believe that God created hell for the devil and his angels. And yet, unbelievers find themselves on that path because of their sin. Now, we're not going to uh, cover all of of that subject of, of hell today. Because really, our topic today is biblical conversion. That's our topic today. But it is kind of eye opening when you begin to think about the destiny of the believer and the destiny of the unbeliever, and you begin to parallel those two ideas. It's kind of eye opening and and surprising. But let's continue on here. Is change possible? Is change possible? So, we do need to change. Paul points out that none is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for a God, but is that change possible? Now, some people, they, they look at that change and they say, well, tr- self-transformation can come through hard work. If, if, uh, if I just change a routine, if, if I just join a group, I can get over that bad habit, and so they, they try to force change in their life through self-transformation or enough hard work. And so Jesus talks about this. Turn back to John chapter 3. Turn back to to John chapter 3. We're going to look at John chapter 3 uh, real quickly here. And starting in verse 1, it says this, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. All right, here's this this. This Jew, and uh, he, he knew a lot about what was going on. There were many people that looked up to him as, as, as a ruler, as, as a Pharisee. And yet, notice his question here. It says, this man came to Jesus by night. And so kind of a cover of night. He did it kind of secretly. And said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, let me point out something here. He is not simply saying, I realize, Jesus, based upon what you are doing, based upon the miracles, based upon your own words, I realize that you have come from God. There is a twofold question here. He states, I realize you've come from God. But his real question he wants to ask. Is how do I get to God? I realize you've come from God. How do I get to God? And we know that because of what Jesus, is, what he says next. So he doesn't talk about how he's come from God. Instead, he really tells them how to get to God. And so notice here in verse three, and Jesus answered him. Notice again, he didn't really ask a question; he made a statement. I realize you're from God, but he asked the que- he answers the question that Nicodemus. In a way, asked. And he says this, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. All right, so Nicodemus is is left there, and, and he's thinking to himself, okay, I've done all of these good things in my life. I am a leader. I am a Pharisee. Other people look up to me, and I realize you've come down. What do I need to go to heaven? And notice Jesus Christ doesn't say, well, just work a little harder. Just work a little harder. You just got to change just a couple more things and then everything will be good. It, it is not through self change. It's not through hard work. But instead, really, Jesus' answer to Nicodemus' question says, it's not about your work, but instead, you must be born again. And of course, what is Jesus talking about when he says he must be born again? Well, that is some. Things, something that needs to happen in his life that Nicodemus can't do on his own. And so when we talk about the, those births, that born again, that, that first birth is Nicodemus's physical birth. That second birth is spiritual life. One was physical life, the next is spiritual life. And Jesus Christ says that comes through the Holy Spirit. And so to Nicodemus's question, and of course, again, he made a statement. I realize you've come from God based upon what you've said, based upon your works. My question is, how do I get to God? And Jesus says, I just want to let you know, you can't do it by yourself. The change you need must come through the Holy Spirit. You must be born again. And then he finishes up with this, because the next question might be, well, how does one become born again and then notice how jesus finishes up this conversation in verse 14 so john three fourteen it says this and as moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness so the son of man must be lifted up and whoever believes in him may have eternal life whoever believes in him may have eternal life now what does jesus talking about well he's connecting him himself back to something that happened in the old testament in the in the book of numbers now the book of numbers uh, israel is is out wandering around and and if you've ever read through the old testament you know israel uh, time after time they would complain and here they are they're, they're complaining about god and they're compla- complaining about what god has given to them And so this is in Numbers 21 in verse 5. It says this, And the people spoke against God and against Moses. And notice what the people are saying. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe. That is, we we don't even like this worthless food that you have given to us. That's their response to God's provision. Remember, what did God do? He saved them from Egypt. He brought them out of Egypt, and now here they are complaining about God and Moses. And this is how God replies. In verse 6, And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so many people of Israel died. And so here they are, they're sinning against God. They're complaining against God, and what does God do? He sends fiery, uh, the word of God says here, a fiery serpent, and of course, what, is, what does Israel do? Well, they go back to Moses and they say, "Please, ask God for mercy. We need mercy." And because God is a merciful God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, He does give them mercy. And in verse eight, it says this, and the Lord said to Moses, "Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole." And anyone who is bitten, when he sees it, he shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on the pole. And if, the, um, if a serpent bit anyone, if he would look at the bronze serpent, um, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. And so God gave them kind of a, a rescue plan. All right? They sinned against God. God brought judgment because God is a just God. But God's also a loving and merciful God. They cried out for mercy. God gave them mercy. And how did he give them mercy? Anyone who turned and looked to this would live. And what Jesus does is he connects himself with that. That just as Israel in the wilderness, they looked up and they were saved, so the Son of Man will be lifted up. Well, what is Jesus Christ talking about? Well, he's talking about an event that yet has not happened. He's talking about the fact that he would hang on the cross. That he would die, that he would be buried, and that he would rise again. So really, within that idea, he's saying, you know what? Nicodemus, you need the gospel. You need to turn from yourself. You cannot save yourself on your own. You need to turn towards the gospel. I'm about to pay That that price for sin. I'm about to die in your place. I'm about to rise again. And so, is change possible not on our own? But Jesus Christ says, yes, change is possible through him. And so he connects himself there to that Numbers 21 account. All right next question here what change does mankind need okay so they need they, they're they're sinners and, and the bible is is pretty um pretty clear about that that we've we've all sinned we've all messed up and that we we need to turn and look but but how does that how does that go about and so what change does mankind need? Well, the verse that we looked at last week was this. And this is our theme verse. And it says this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Uh, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so we looked at this idea Receive power from the Holy Spirit. We looked at that idea last week, and so they were waiting. Matter of fact, Jesus Christ tells them, okay, go back and wait, and uh, I'm going to leave, and the Holy Spirit's going to come. And so, just as, just as Jesus told his disciples, that's exactly what happens. In the very next chapter, we find uh, Pentecost, we find the Holy Spirit uh, comes and really comes upon everyone uh, there in the house, and so there's this, this great thing. And, and so go ahead and turn over to Acts chapter 2. We want to look at a couple of verses here. We want to look at what happens after the Holy Spirit comes. Remember what Jesus Christ says. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and, and Samaria and all Judea and to the ends of the earth. And, and that's after the Holy Spirit comes. Now in verse 1 and 2 or 3 and 4, the Holy Spirit does come. But then I want you to see Peter being a witness. And I want to see this this process that happens. So we're actually looking at kind of like a case study for the gospel. Because it is an illustration found in God's word for the gospel. And this is really the first time it's it's communicated in this way after the Holy Spirit comes. And so here in in Acts 2.22 it says this. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him and in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And so Paul, Peter here, I'm sorry, Peter begins to really communicate of the gospel. And he begins to talk to them about who Christ is. And you know what? God uses the Holy Spirit and uses Peter's words to affect people's hearts. And so we see this result. Go ahead and look down at verse 37. Verse 37, it says this, now when they heard this, that is the people that were listening to the preaching of of Peter here, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? What shall we do? And so here they're confronted with the fact that Jesus Christ came and that he was, he was, given, he was turned over and, and killed there on the cross. And of course, I love the way that Peter uh, says it. Uh, that it wasn 't by mistake, but of the foreknowledge of God that God it was all according to god 's plan, and they were cut to the heart. God used Peter, and so they asked, brothers, what must we do? And the question is, what must we do to be saved and again, this is all happening through the holy spirit 's leading and empowering the Holy Spirit has just come matter of fact, here in this portion, people are are hearing all in their own languages. Though, though Peter is speaking just in one language, everyone is hearing in their own language. Something very supernatural is happening here. And so the Holy Spirit communicates this to their question. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the gi- forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so their question is really, what must we do? What must we do to be saved? We, we are cut all the way to the heart. What must we do? And Peter's response to the Holy Spirit is this. First of all, repent. He really gives them kind of like a, like a, a two-point uh, two approach. Repent, and then that second one would be uh, be baptized. So let's talk about, first of all, that first word. Repent. What, is, what does Peter mean when he tells the people, repent? Well, repent means to take a, a 180. All right? So not a 360, a 180. So it's this. It's this. A long life, you're walking down this path. And, and Peter says, this is the way that you're going. And really, if you keep going this way, you're going to fall off. You're going to die. What you need to do is you need to repent. You need to turn away from your works, and you need to really turn towards God. And you need to put your faith and trust in, in the Lord. And so really, when he begins to talk about this idea of repentance, it's this idea of 180. You stop going one way, you turn around, you go another way. You repent and turn to God from our sins. That's the first thing that Peter communicates to the Holy Spirit. Now notice the second thing. Be baptized. All right, so we do number one here, number two here, the two points that Peter lays out for us. Repent, be baptized. Now, does someone need to be baptized to be a Christian? No. What does baptism do? Well, it's actually an outward testimony of what has already happened in the inside. And so, when Peter says this, he is saying, well, you need to believe in the fact that Jesus Christ died, that he was buried, and that he rose again. And if you believe that in your heart, you will be baptized. You will show that that is what you believe. Matter of fact, next week, Lord willing, we're going to have a baptism. And it's going to be right up here. And we're going to see that picture. That 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 individual is going to say, you know what, there was a time in my life where I thought I was okay, but I realized that Jesus Christ died for me, that picture of going underneath the water, that he was buried, but that he didn't stay dead, that he rose again. And in the same way, I believe that I was dead in my trespasses and sins, but now I am alive, I have experienced a new birth in Jesus Christ. That's the picture of baptism, death, burial, and resurrection. And so Peter says this. He says, you need to turn from the way that you're going. If you cannot get there on your own, you need to repent and turn towards God. You need to believe in Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And that's a picture of baptism. And so that is what Peter communicates when when really the Holy Spirit convicts these these men and says, what must we do? Peter says, repent and be baptized. The idea is, repent, turn from your sin, turn towards God, and number two, believe in what the Lord Jesus Christ has done in your place. That's the two parts of the gospel. Repent and be baptized. And that's not the only place that we see this come up. Matter of fact, Jesus Christ himself said the same thing and so uh, as jesus christ was was speaking and and teaching this is in mark chapter one at the very beginning of mark and notice this is what the word of god says and after john that would be john the baptist was arrested jesus came into galilee proclaiming the gospel of god all right so jesus christ comes in proclaiming the gospel and notice what jesus christ says here And saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. And notice the two things that Jesus Christ says, repent and believe. The same thing that Peter says, repent and believe. And what does Christ say? What do mankind need? They need to repent and they need to believe. This is the idea of change. So we're going down life, we think that we're okay, we're, we're good in the inside, we're, we're doing just fine, but the Bible says actually what we need to do is we need to repent, we need to turn from the way that we're going, we need to turn towards the Lord, and we need to believe. And so that is biblical change. It's not from joining a group, it's not from overcoming an addiction, it's not from going from a, a, a mean person to a nice person. It's not carrying your neighbor's stuff out uh, to the curb. It's not going to church. It's not being a church member. It's turning towards Christ. Matter of fact, Mark uh, Dever, Dever, a pastor and author, he says this. It's not reciting a creed. It's not saying a prayer. It's not becoming a Westerner. It's not reaching a certain age, attending a class, or passing through some side of rite of adulthood. Rather, conversion is turning with our whole lives from self justification to Christ's justification, from self rule to God's rule, from idol worship to God. So salvation is about a change. It's not just a a mental thing. In this this post-modern world that we live in, there are many people who say, I believe in a God. They may even say, I am spiritual. But just because they believe in a God or just because they are spiritual does not mean that one day when they die, they will be present with the Lord. Instead, that just means that they believe in a God, that they are spiritual. Really what they need is they need to turn towards the God of the Bible and they need to believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin. And so that repentance and that faith, biblical change relies, uh, relies on Christ alone and allows God to change lives it is the gospel that changes lives. We do not change lives. John Newton said this, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I wish to be. I am not what I hope to be. Yet, I can truly say, I am, uh, I am not what I was by the grace of God. I am what I am. And we could probably say the same thing as we think about this idea of the gospel changes lives, as we think about this idea of be my, my witnesses, there's no doubt to me that there was someone that came along your path and shared the gospel with you. Whether you heard it within a church like this, whether it was in a Sunday school or maybe a Wana's or maybe in a Christian school, that someone shared the gospel with you. Someone was a witness. And that gospel changed your life. And you would say, you know what? I'm not perfect. And maybe I even wish I was better. And if we look at ourselves and we're honest with ourselves, we'd say, I wish I was better. But then we gladly say, you know what? I am what I am because of God's grace. So how does change happen? How does change happen? How does this great change happen? Well, turn over to uh, uh, Acts, Acts chapter sixteen. Acts chapter sixteen. This is the last uh, case study we're going to look at as far as uh, the gospel. But look at Acts chapter sixteen. Something remarkable happens uh, here in Acts chapter sixteen. I'm not going to put the uh, slides up on the wall. So Acts chapter 16, because we're going to be looking at a handful of verses here. Notice here in verse 25, it says this, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Okay, now, Paul and Silas were in prison not because they did something wrong, all right? They were actually doing the right thing. They were writing God's will. Sometimes when you're writing God's will, sometimes still bad things happen. And that was true for Paul and Silas. They were doing the right thing, and, and they were thrown into prison. But here in verse 26, And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundation of the prisons were, were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Okay, this is a miracle in itself, all right? So this is supernatural. This is not just an earthquake that makes bonds unfashioned. All right, in Verse 27, and then the jailer woke and, and saw that the prisoner doors were open. he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. all right, he was going to kill himself because it was it would probably be faster if he killed himself, and maybe it would look as if maybe one someone got loose, killed him, and then maybe his maybe his um, uh, family would be spared from any type of judgment. so he's going to kill himself, but here in verse. 28, then Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we, all, we are all here. And the jail, jailer called for lights and rushed in and troubling with fear fell down before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? That's our second ca- uh, case study today. And so if you remember, Peter preached. And then the men said, what must we do? Peter said, repent and believe. Repent and believe. Or repent and be baptized. The idea is repent and believe. And now here we have the jailer. And he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And notice Paul's response here. Notice Paul's response. This is up on the wall for you if you didn't flip there. It says this. And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the words of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And the, uh, Let's see here. Oh, looks like I uh, dropped off a, a verse there. But that next verse is that, that really him and his house were baptized. They did believe. They gave Paul and Silas food, and his whole household was baptized. Why? Because they believed. And so again, Paul said, what? That all you have to do is believe. And believe in who? Believe in Jesus Christ. And so really, we have an opportunity to see lives changed in our community. Change is possible. Though the world may deny change. And, and again, why do, we, why do we not like change? Because we like to be kings and queens of our own lives. We don't like people to point out our flaws. Just like when we were growing up and our brother or sister would tell our parents, hey, you won't believe what John did. Oh. I was the oldest of three brothers, so I had a younger uh, brother, Rick, and an, another younger brother, Brad. And uh, whenever they would tell on me, that was, that was not the thing. The good feeling in my life. its that sin part of me and that sin part that the world struggles with, but they need change. They need change. And so here in 1 John 4.10, as we kind of come to a close today, it says this, and this is love, not that we have loved God But that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The idea is this. We may have not realized that we needed change. But God realized we needed change. And through his son, through his love, he sent his son to be the propitiation. That is, to pay the price for our sins so that we wouldn't have. And so though in the world today, people think, you know what, I'm fine just the way that I am. And, and, and the, the very familiar saying today is, you just accept me for who I am. God thought it was important enough that though the world didn't think they needed change, he was going to supply an instrument of change, and that was his son, Jesus Christ. So do people need gospel change? Yes. Why? Because we're all sinners before a holy God. Is change possible? Yes. But it cannot be through self-transformation and hard work. It must be through Jesus Christ. We must be born again through God's Spirit. What change do we need? We need to repent and turn from our sins and turn to Christ. How does this great change happen? Through faith, we must put our trust and dependence in the work of Christ. We must rely fully on Christ's death, burial, and resurrection for salvation. So that's biblical change. It's not about simply giving up something or giving up something for a month, but really gospel change is about turning from our sin and turning towards Christ. Now, I, I need to say this, because I... I know this to be true, that sometimes, and, and this topic this year, be, be My Witnesses, His Plan, Our Purpose, sometimes the word evangelism in churches is kind of like a, a bad word. And let me tell you why. Because evangelism is, is like one of those words that creates fear in people's lives. It, it discourages us because sometimes we, we look around and we think to ourselves, I haven't been a witness like I know I should. And, and sometimes that can be discouraging or sometimes that can create fear. It's like, I'm supposed to witness, but what if this happens? Or maybe it's guilt. Maybe you know you're, you're a strong Christian and, and you, you know how to share the gospel, but you just don't take those opportunities I hope this year, as we go through this topic, won't be times of fear, guilt, and discouragement. The goal of this year is really through these messages that we might have encouragement, that we might have passion, and that we might be excited, really to push the ministry of of Wilton Bible Church outside the walls of this room that we would go into our, our neighborhoods and into our community, into our Jerusalem, feel equipped to be able to share the gospel, realizing that it's not up to us to change people's lives. All we do is we're just a witness. We just communicate the gospel. And it is God who changes lives. And so really this year... Biblical change is possible with Christ. And so don't be fearful, don't feel guilt, don't feel discouragement. The goal this year is really to be encouraged, to have new passion, and to be excited about the ministry of Wilton Bible Church pushing out into our community. That's what this, that's what this is all about. Be my witnesses, His plan, our purpose. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we do thank you. For Jesus Christ, the fact that uh, many of us, or all of us, we were headed down a path, Lord, and and the path was, was not good. The Bible communicates the fact that we are in need of help, we are in need of change, we need to repent and believe. So thank you, Lord, that there was a place and time in our lives where we realized that we were sinners, that we needed a Savior that Savior was Jesus Christ, that He died in our place, that He was buried, and that He rose again in our place so that we might have forgiveness of sin, that we might have His righteousness given to us, that our sin would be paid for and that we would have a promise of a resurrection to come. Lord, as we continue to unfold this this topic of evangelism and personal evangelism and evangelism through the church, I pray there would be times of encouragement that we would sense a newfound uh, passion for sharing the gospel. That, that Wilton Bible Church would not be grown through taking people from other churches but that Wilton Bible Church would grow through evangelism, new people coming into the church, coming from death to life. We pray that Wilton Bible Church would grow because the gospel would reach our community. Again, Lord, we realize that all we do is we share the good news. And so Lord, help us to be bold in this coming year. May we receive the tools, may we receive the encouragement that we need, may we realize that we're never alone when we share the gospel, that you go with us, that the Holy Spirit empowers us. May you use Wilton Bible Church, may you use me and our leadership and our members and our regular attenders to reach our Jerusalem with the gospel. May we be your witnesses in Jesus' name.